0: Today, I'm talking to Shannon Medima of Halifax Regional Municipality, where she's going to be explaining Halifax 2050, what that is all about, and how the municipality is working with businesses and local residents to help them make greener decisions. So grab a coffee, make a pot of green tea, whatever, put yourself on cruise control. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Shannon Midema. 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 Thank you so much. I I thank you so much for clearing that. So you're with the Halifax Regional Municipality. So what is the role that you do there? So I'm the Director of Environment and Climate Change
1: for Halifax. So uh, responsible for our climate plan that we have. Um, All things sustainability and environment as well as climate change. How did you fall into that role? Thats <laughs> a kind I don't know of if I fell into it or kind of I'm seeing it quantified. <laughs> um, I actually started thirteen years ago with the city. and I was kind of in one of the first climate change positions. I had been in consulting for five years before that. And, you know, I was going along, and um my manager took a different opportunity. So then I became the acting manager. and then I competed for it permanently. And then, when we got the climate plans through a few years ago, um, we really had to, like, grow our team to really try and respond to the climate crisis. And so we got bigger and bigger, and I then was kind of turned into a director, whatever that means. So,
0: yeah, it's all very exciting. Yeah. It is, you know, but so because I've been talking to a lot of people across Canada, and Halifax has really been put on the map, you know, in terms of clean uh, initiatives or green uh green projects, that type of thing. So where where is Halifax currently with all of that right now?
1: Yeah, I'd say we are a leading city in Canada, uh, and some people say beyond, uh, with the new climate plan that we have. So we were an early adopter of doing greenhouse gas inventories in the 90s. We were one of the early adopters um, for the Partners for Climate Protection Program um, that's run nationally, and we've had climate plans for decades and decades. Um, but we really needed, like with all the new climate science coming out, the new net zero um, ambitions and what we were seeing Mm -hmm. on the ground with what's happening in Halifax with hurricanes Mm -hmm. and temperature changes Mm -hmm. and all kinds of things, we really wanted to redo our entire plan and also layer in climate adaptation. So like preparing for impacts. I think our plan, it's, it's founded in science. So it's not, what can we do that's possible? That's not too tricky. It's, what do we need to do that science says we need to do regardless of the barriers that we're facing and all of the work it's going to take and the investment that's needed uh, to try and get to our 2030 and 2050 targets. And that's something that not every other plan has. And a lot of cities have looked to us to understand how we developed our plan, um, who we used to help us in the consulting world and things like that. And um, for advice. And a lot of people have um, since put forward some really amazing climate plans. And there were lots before us as well. Like Toronto's TransformTO plan is amazing. Um, Vancouver's always been a leader in the space. We're not, you know, we're not the only ones. But I think this plan has really put us on the map because we're being quite brave with our leadership. Um, our councils made serious commitments and now funding commitments to make sure it's not just a plan that sits on the shelf, that we're actually trying to mobilize and really
0: transform our city and our systems to address the climate crisis. So, is that how Halifax? What uh, Halifax two thousand fifty? Has that is that under that umbrella? So, Halifax is the name of
1: the climate plan. So, the ACT in Halifax stands for Acting on Climate Together. It's a little cheesy, but um, it's really about needing all of our partners, other levels of government, public, uh, business, utilities, to all come together. Because as a city, we only directly control about 2% of the overall emissions that happen in our city. And so, you know, we can influence and drive some of the changes for the other partners, but it's really about working all together to reduce the barriers and figure out the new policy required and like, where's the financing coming from and all the different pieces to just try and go faster and bigger because we've been way too slow in working on climate change for over 30 years. Like we've known it's a problem for a really long time. And one other thing about leading with this climate plan, I'd say is the way that we developed it. So um, we really tried to include everybody right from the start. Um, we, We were very intentional and probably did One of the better jobs as a city government with engaging everybody, all different communities, our Mi'kmaq population, our African Nova Scotian communities, um, nonprofits, you know, everybody, academics, and we kind of co-created the plan together and approved in principle to the net zero by 2050 target. And we had these big planning sessions. It was all right before COVID. So they were in person Um, and we really had this lens of, Um, prioritizing vulnerable communities and vulnerable infrastructure and vulnerable ecosystems and just really trying to um, have, you know, happy, healthy communities that thrive because you're not going to be prepared for climate impacts if you're already struggling in in different ways. So there's a real social and equity lens to the work that we do.
0: Why is it important to invest in, in the climate initiatives now?
1: Well, we should have done it a long time ago, but better late than never. And it's really about like, we really have a narrowing window of time to drive down our emissions. Like our ethically determined carbon budget for the city, we're set to blow it by like 2027 or 2028 if we keep with the more business as usual approach um, to doing things. And if the whole world does that, every city, every province, every country um, keeps on going too slowly, you know, we're going to see the repercussions of that warming for a really long time. If we were to stop emitting all greenhouse gas emissions today, we'd still have impacts for years and years to come, right? So, So we really need to be looking at solutions that shift our energy system entirely, reduce the energy demand of our buildings, change our transportation system, get more people in buses and on active transportation as well as switching to EVs, like all these kinds of things. It takes like a massive effort to change something that's so entrenched in the
0: way we've done things as a society for a really long time. That that's really amazing. I mean, um, so getting back to your your earlier answer about, you know, Halifact and, and the HALA HALA Act uh, 2050 you said you're consulted with businesses and also with residents as well. Um, so what can residents do? What what can people do to advance this a little bit further?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's one that we hear a lot. You know, there's a real feeling of overwhelm and a, like a lack of power around individual work in climate change. So much of it is needed to be done by government, by utilities, by the engineers, by the scientists, right? Um So we spent a lot of time thinking about this, and we have a page on our website about things to think about if you are wanting to take action. Um, First of all, voting is really important. Voting for people who reflect your values and beliefs that are environment and climate related as well as others. Also voting with your dollars. You know, consumer power is a very real thing. It speaks to a lot of people. And, you know, you can make choices in your daily purchases and your larger purchases have a really big uh, environmental impact, both positive or negative. so there's so everything from what car you might purchase next to the packaging of a bottle of medicine versus a different company's bottle of medicine, all of that um, how you travel from A to B, all of those things have a lot of impact and really we say um, that it's a lot of drops in the bucket still makes a really full bucket so all the smaller choices like using a reusable coffee mug not buying bottled water when you don't need to um, just reducing how much stuff you buy and where you buy it from you know is it coming from overseas because there's a lot of emissions related to transportation of goods All of those things, it's like those little things in your daily life, like, okay, what can I change that would make me feel like I'm doing something that's not too uncomfortable for me? Like, what's a good step? And then once that feels good, maybe you want to take another step. The food you purchase, you know, really, climate is everywhere. It's really about, like, a healthy planet. And so there's a lot that can be done. Also, volunteering Um, or diving in on a project and just thinking about climate in your job, whatever your job may be, because there's climate considerations really
0: across all jobs. That's amazing. Yeah. Like like you said, climate is everywhere. And in an earlier conversation, you mentioned how Halifax, it can only directly control the 2%, you know, of greenhouse gases in, in, in the municipality. So, how how can where can the blanks be filled in mm-hmm. yeah well we actually have a very large
1: it was called the Halifact stakeholder network um it's a group of people it's over a hundred organizations that came together to create the plan we've kept that alive and we meet um, every every three or four months um and we try and drive action you know amongst ourselves we update each other on important, you know, new pieces of policy or funding opportunities, new things that are happening um, both locally all the way to internationally. And we've trained people in that network in the collective impact approach to trying to do climate change work. So really trying to work in these faster planning cycles and think beyond long-term planning that doesn't really work because everything's changing so quickly in the climate space, lots of new tech advances and policy changes and things like that, right? So- so we're trying to like figure out how to best foster that network for change. And we talk about, you know, shared accountability and responsibility, not just internal with all the different departments of HRM, of the municipality itself, but also accountability of others, of other levels of government, of the the private sector and things like that. And we, so we have a lot of different things on the go. One really exciting one is, um, We just got a a bunch of CEOs of major organizations and employers in the city to co-create this climate action charter with us. And we did it with the Halifax Partnership. It's actually an action in the um, economic strategy, the new inclusive economic strategy that we have for the city. It's a five-year plan. And one of the actions was to develop this CEO charter, similar to the public safety charter that, that we have in the province that puts people before profits. So um, there was a Don Bureau of NSCC had this great idea like, hey, why don't we think about a charter for climate? And there's 10 kind of statements in it. And, um, you know, there were utilities signing on, academic institutions, businesses, uh, all kinds of really influential people in our city signing on um, that they're going to go a bit further with climate. They're going to think about these 10 statements and try and drive climate action within their businesses. And that's all different sizes of businesses, different types of work. Uh, and then the partnership and the city are going to support that network of CEOs that are going to do that because we really need the private sector to play a big role in this too. So we're just trying to get into every little nook and cranny. We're running an education campaign in all of our libraries right now about climate change and trying to hear from people on what they have questions about, what they're concerned about, what they would like to see from the city um, to move forward. So we've got we've got a lot, we've, we're doing like grants, these little climate action challenges where community groups get small grants and they get training to like move
0: their climate ideas forward, all kinds of things. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, it has to start somewhere. It really, it all has to begin. And so another question is, about the solar city program you mentioned earlier, you know, the retrofits for existing uh, buildings, that sort of thing. Where Where is that all right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our solar city program
1: is pretty well known across um, the residents of, of Halifax now, and it's been going for quite a number of years. We've loaned about $20 million to homeowners, and some places of worship and nonprofits that's who we're allowed to kind of loan money to um, to install solar systems on their buildings and we've been working for the last year and year plus on how to take that program and all that we've learned and the successes we have with it and kind of turn it into or add on um, so that it can become a deep energy retrofit program for community and really all to address the retrofitting of all buildings because The single biggest opportunity in Halifax from a greenhouse gas perspective is to retrofit the buildings that we have today to reduce the energy demand. So we have a goal of retrofitting them all by 2040, which is really ambitious. And this program is intended to help spur that, right? Um, Where you reduce the energy demand on average by half, by about 50% in any building that you go into. You put renewables on like solar panels, if it makes sense. And also we're looking at resiliency to climate impact. So is there is this building at risk of flooding? Is there something we could do to prevent you know, flooding from heavy rainfall? Things like that. Uh, so we've done a third-party financing study to, to think about actually getting the money to be loaned to these building owners by a private financial institution like a bank or a credit union. And uh, we've got some other kind of pieces um, being done right now to help inform what this program looks like.
0: What about electric fleets? I mean, there's their transportation, there are buses. I think there's an electric ferry that is in the works. It's under development right now. Of course, there's the infrastructure that has to support all of that. So where where is the municipality in, in that? Yeah, our council adopted our electric vehicle strategy for the city
1: uh, just over a year ago. And it deals with our corporate fleet. So we have about, you know, 300 some vehicles, uh, police cars, fire trucks, you know, all the. I, I, I guess this strategy is just for light duty fleet. So sorry, not the fire trucks, but um, some of the That's fire cool. vehicles that go to emergencies, you know, like the supervisor vehicles and police cars, and then, you know, all the kind of um, bylaw enforcement vehicles, all those things. Uh, so we have a plan to fully convert all of them to being electric by 2030. And the costs and benefits of doing that, there's actually a a financial bonus to doing that over time. It actually should save the city money. And then there's another piece to the strategy on charging, the charging infrastructure. Um, And we have just launched an RFP for actually getting a a bunch of public chargers installed across the city to have a really connected network of chargers because we don't want people waiting in line for charging. We don't want people to have to drive out of their way for charging. Um, but that requires all kinds of things you don't think about at first, like a policy on on what to charge, a bylaw on what to charge. So you know we were working with legal and our IT team and our risk and insurance team um, all to come up with this recommendation that will go to council for approval shortly on what to charge. Uh, for the ones that we're installing. And then we're trying to encourage other organizations to put chargers in as well, not just the city itself. Um, and the other piece of the strategy is on education and awareness and capacity building. And we're working with Clean Foundation. They have a really cool program called Next Ride. Next Ride. And you can test drive any electric vehicles that they have. And they are a wealth of information about what it's like to own and operate an electric vehicle. Um, and they run... Um, education campaigns and do little mobile test drives and stuff all over all over the province so um, that's kind of where we are with that and then we're about to get our first um, our first bunch of electric buses really soon there was just one there's one in town where we were um, we got to go out on a little test drive just last week actually uh, with the Nova bus, which is the type of electric bus that we've purchased and they're working on getting the chargers in the bus depot to support all of that work and yeah,
0: so we're definitely getting there. Yeah, the infrastructure, you know, there's a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of work to be done there. But uh, you're not redefining the path, you know. You, there's, you know, there's a lot of great things, and also with technology, it's getting better all the time. The batteries are getting stronger, you know, with new innovations coming forward. It can only uh, strengthen probably what you're putting in place today and implementing in 2040 or even 2030. Yeah.
1: And that's not to say that there aren't some barriers. You know, procurement is a really big barrier. Like there's not a lot of supply of electric vehicles across the world right now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a plan, we have money, we even have people to drive the implementation of this electric vehicle strategy. And we're still struggling to actually buy as many as we'd like in, in any given year right now. So we're working on, okay, are there some creative solutions to that problem, to that barrier to make us go a little faster and um, do we want to think about used electric vehicles? Like we, right now we only buy new vehicles for a municipal fleet. Would it make sense to consider something like that? And um, yeah, or maybe some bulk procurement contract where we actually get together with like all of Atlantic Canada to have more buying power because we're we're kind of a small market here. Um, there might be a role for the federal government to change policy so that you actually have you have to share across um, the provinces and territories and things like that. So we're working on, on those pieces too.
0: That's really great. So Shannon and final words, you know, what, uh, what are the next projects? What, what do you have upcoming in the next six months or two year? What, what, what are you working Yeah, on? We have a lot. There's 46 actions in the plan and they're all like
1: 30 year long actions. So I could talk to you for days, but, but on that, some stuff that I didn't cover yet. We're really excited about some flood hazard mapping work that we're doing. So we took the latest international climate science and we updated our extreme water levels for all of our boundary of HRM. Um, and we're doing... Mm-hmm flood risk mapping for all of the coast as well as along our rivers, like for our whole municipality. Uh, We updated all of, like we had LIDAR flown to have a really updated and full digital elevation model, which is a lot that's jargony, but it's kind of what you need so that you can actually layer the risks, um, you know, spatially and see like where are vulnerable areas, what piece of infrastructure Is most at risk and at the same time we're working with emergency management on um, doing an inventory of all of our critical infrastructure and so the federal government defines critical infrastructure as not just roads and bridges and evacuation routes uh, but also shelters and telecommunications and things like that so what what is critical in our city what are the risks to those critical infrastructures and then building plans around okay how can we make that piece more resilient, or is it coming up for renewal soon? Can we make it more climate smart? Um, and we have some money as part of our capital plan for doing this climate work, set aside for those types of bigger infrastructure projects. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm happy about that.
0: I bet. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot to, uh, lot, a lot of work to be done, and and there's a lot of energy and enthusiasm, which is great to see for, for the municipality and. It's it's wonderful to see how Halifax, you know, strong and mighty, you know, and small, uh, is really making an impact across Canada. It's it's great to see. Thank you. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for joining me today. And, you know, come back for a future episode. And, uh, you know, it was great great to have a conversation. And, um, you know, if anybody listening in has any questions or anything, uh, drop us a line and, and we will make sure that. And we'll send it through to you, Shannon, to answer because we're really just, you know, the go-between person. And uh, But yeah, thanks a lot for your time today. It was great to it's talk. pleasure. Thank you, Maria. Well, there you have it. That was Shannon Medema of Halifax Regional Municipality. So happy to chat with her. You can just imagine the energy in the room when she walks in. And I'm so happy that she's leading the climate actions in, in Halifax. Thanks again. So... Um, if you have any questions for Shannon, like we said earlier, drop, drop me a line, podcast at sociablemedia.co. And if you have any questions, I'll forward them through to Shannon and we'll keep the conversation going. So have a great day. Thanks for listening in. I'm Maria McGowan.